from Tom Tech and Lo-Fi Arts, this is Story Hacker with an XR at the end. For more info, visit tomtechblog.com. Hello, welcome to episode two of Story Hacker with an XR at the end. Story Hacker profiles people we find doing interesting things at the leading edge of technology. We made it as a platform to share success, failure, advice and thoughts as this new art form develops. I'm Chris. And I'm James. For this episode, Chris went up to York to interview Lucy Hammond at Pilot Theatre. Yeah, but yes. <laughs> did you or didn't you, Chris? I, I did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I did, James. Pilot Theatre has been at the cutting edge of live storytelling for 30 years. And now they've dived into virtual reality with their brilliant piece, Traitor. Lucy was really lovely to talk to, a brilliant interview, and she was very generous with her time. And then after I talked to her, I went off and had a really amazing vegan meal all on my own at El Piano, the Ooh. really nice York restaurant. So thanks for that, James, and your budget. Oh, wow. Uh, managed to get up to York and home in one day on the train. It was really good. Super travelling. So here's my conversation with Lucy Hammond. How organic do you think pilots attitude is mm. this kind of cutting edge attitude I think it's developed completely out of the practice of the of the company for the last couple of decades I'd say that we really were pioneers when technology first started to be used in theatre both in the sense of projection but also I think I mentioned we had CD-ROMs with computers in the foyers of theatres and we've kind of really continued that so it's a real core strand of our thinking and the way that we build a project will always have some kind of technology or a technological approach built into it and sometimes that's not completely core to the artistic work it's perhaps through marketing or or education or something but um, I would feel like it's a real focus of ours and it, it kind of grows organically through the planning process of all of our projects. You've done some amazing site-specific stuff that isn't necessarily in the in the kind of tech side it can be quite mm. uh, homespun tech. Yes exactly yeah yeah and that's actually what Traitor w grew out of um, and a lot of my work producing at this company has been um, with immersive shows that have involved sort of lo-fi tech um, but used in inventive ways uh, to sort of really build a, an atmosphere for a performance so yeah. Your production A Restless Place mm -hmm. which was set in a 18th century prison cells. Yes, yeah. Uh, where did that come from as an idea? The director of that show, Katie Posner, she uh, was working with the writer Juliana Mensa, who was part of the Protective Fellowship for Human Rights at the University of York. And uh, Juliana's working on a project collecting verbatim testimonies of people that had moved to York and sought sanctuary at the university for human rights reasons. And it sort of came out of all these really amazing interviews. Um, Juliana built this script and it was also around the exact time of the, the real migration crisis of people um, going to Greece in overloaded boats and arriving with nothing um, from Syria. So it really all tied in together. And the, and the cells sort of work so beautifully as a space because they're these amazing 18th century um, cells that allow these really dark, 
um, kind of intimate spaces in which to tell these really quite personal stories. And we used some professional actors and also some actors from the community, some of whom themselves were part of the Protective Human Rights Fellowship. So it had this really beautiful sort of quality of, uh, I don't know, truthfulness. It really came from a place of those people's testimony, yeah. yeah. Captures something real. Yeah, exactly. In the context of being this is a, a theatre piece, it's actually... Yeah. Also maybe slightly claustrophobic? Yeah, exactly. So part of that story, actually, one of the scenes in it was um, a moment where you were completely in pitch darkness and you just heard some voices and there was a really amazing soundscape that we used. And that was part of that claustrophobia. But I'd say from my point of view, some of the other really exciting stuff that came out of that show was as a result of that space. Um, because there were no plug sockets anywhere in the old space, as you should imagine. I don't know why there would be a plug socket in, um, in that space. So it meant that we had to be really, really inventive with lighting and projection. Um, I work with an, an animator called Hondart Safraga, who's a really, uh, she animates sort of old lithograph prints of things. And um, we, we use some of her work and the production manager on the show, um, along with myself, sort of created these suitcase projectors which were um, handheld projectors hidden inside suitcases. So uh, they were complete uh, mobile units that you, you charged up with a battery pack and then uh, our operators could walk around the cell space and project without any um, need for a power source. So, so you take out any obtrusiveness of tech, exa exactly. but still achieve a, an effect. Exactly, in, the, in that amazing. space. So it was really exciting and I know that um, that was a really cool bit of that and I, I would really like to use those again because they were really, really effective. And similarly, we um, did that with the projection and then the lighting was the kind of torches you use if you break down on a motorway, really big, big torches. Yeah, massive chunky things that exactly. last for ages. Exactly, so we had about 10 of those um, and they were mobile lighting rigs for us. So uh, it worked really well, but um, yeah, out of those challenges came actually quite exciting and inventive solutions. I mainly want to talk about Traitor. Mm -hmm. It's uh, this missing person mystery thriller, and it began as a site-specific piece. Mm -hmm. Could you sort of outline how Traitor works? Yeah, of course. Um, how it's experienced by the audience? I will say first that Traitor was a co-production between Pilot Theatre and Theatre Vart, which is a Norwegian company yeah. uh, based in Molde in Norway. And it was directed by our artist director Esther Richardson and Cecilia Lundsholt. So they devised it with the writer Richard Herford. And the concept was that you get a text message, as the audience members, you get a text message from someone who calls themselves Citizen Zero. They say, I need your help, meet me at this place at this time. And the concept was that it was to be played in public buildings where the audience arrived and broke into the building after dark um, on the premise of finding uh, this hacker and this missing girl. She was a missing girl. And as you went in, you split into two groups and you followed two stories around the building. And each room you went into, the technology sprung to life. So for instance, in York, the, the show played in York um, and then in Norway and then in Germany in Dresden. Um, and in York it was performed in a school, in Norway it was in a library. Uh, but obviously these are places with lots of screens. Um, so in each room during the show, um, different bits of technology sprang to life, whether it was a speaker or a projected whiteboard and uh, this character would speak to you or you'd see little bits. And at one point we used um, 
live streaming to show the audience themselves as if a hacker had hacked into a webcam that a camera came up and a big bright light and projected on the screen, the audience saw their own faces. So, As they were right yeah, there. That's so, amazing. So it was a real feeling. But actually what that technology was, was pretty sort of lo-fi. It took a lot of coordination. And again, Ben Pugh, the production manager that worked on um, uh, Restless Place, worked on this show as well and really did a great job of sort of creating these quite actually lo-fi mechanisms through PowerPoint and things with hidden stage managers. It created the effect of incredibly sophisticated uh, hacking and, and this sort of, yeah, the idea that this hacker was bringing this stuff to life in front of your eyes. So this show mm -hmm. exists then and it's been... It's been performed, yeah. And it sounds fantastic. From there, where did the idea to take it into the virtual world as a, a secondary project yeah. Where did that come from? Esther and Cecilia always felt while they were developing the show that it was quite a narrative that you followed as part of the show. We really did lead the audience through it. But the format, they felt really, would lend itself to some kind of game mechanism, perhaps, uh, where you could have more choices to create more options for that storyline. Um, and that's something that had really interested them. And as producer of that show, it really interested me as well. And then Esther and I applied for the Reframe project at Lighthouse in Brighton. We applied with the idea that we wanted to develop the story into um, an interactive, immersive, technological piece. That's one strand of the thinking. The second one was sort of from my perspective, was that Traitor in its immersive form, immersive theatre form, just wasn't viable for touring and pilot theatre or a touring theatre company. We did tour it to three locations, but it became really evident that the cost and the time involved in that just wasn't really viable. Um, Is that partly to do with the fact that you're doing a lot of stuff that uses humans exactly. to do these things like you were describing before. Exactly, and it also really relies on having pre-visits to the locations to make sure you can plan out the routes because the two groups can't meet each other on the way around. You need to scope out the right types of rooms. It was just lots of groundwork that had to be done to, to realise the show to its best quality. And obviously we're a theatre company that focuses on young audiences, so the, the key thing for a show like Traitor where it really deals with themes of citizenship and um, online security, privacy, political themes around whistleblowing. We really want to get this story out there to as many young people as we could and in that format it, it just wasn't going to work. So there was a seed of an idea that if we could uh, use immersive technologies then there is this sort of really exciting potential of us being able to tour the show on demand in a way, just set up with you know a stage manager, an actor and a suitcase and really tell the story in the most easy way, as quickly and efficiently as, as we could, yeah. And that was your driving force before maybe you were thinking about VR specifically? Exactly, yeah, I think before we were thinking about VR specifically it could have been sound, there could have been so many different ways we, we could have done it. Um, and then I went on the reframe courses and that kind of gave me the space outside of the office to really, I became creative producer on Traitor at that point. And that's when I really started to think about what technology could really lend itself to the story that had been set up. And that's where the VR idea came from. So um, I began to think of the, the, the most exciting thing people found about the show was that you went on these two separate journeys. And that in itself is a kind of game mechanism where you've got 
an element of replayability because young people kept coming back to try the other branch of the show and so I was thinking we have to retain that somehow but how can you do that when you're potentially thinking of touring this to one room in a in a building and I suddenly thought well I was like the VR can be the other journey so the two teams can still work together and come together at the end but what works with VR is we can use that essentially as another room within a room and that's where the concept really took off from that point. For more info, visit tomtechblog.com. It's fascinating that it works both as a creative mechanism mm. and as a kind of cold hard bottom line logistics mechanism. Yeah. And that exactly. feels like a really elegant solution. I was really pleased when we... It took a lot of thinking. It was one of those moments I remember sitting... I, I took a day out of the office and sat in my kitchen, sort of... I had thriller music playing, I remember. Not like th Michael Jackson thriller, but like movie thriller yeah, yeah. music. And I was trying Scary to get... Music. Yeah, literally, I was trying to get myself in this mindset. When it came, it came to me, I was like, yes, oh my God. It means that we can be in one room, but be in two rooms at exactly the same time. And it works so, so brilliantly in that way. And actually, out of that... Uh, the practicality thing was a real bonus and a real great thing, but actually creatively, it really got me thinking about actually what that relationship is like. You're basically almost blindfolding two people in the room because one can see inside the room, the other one can see in the VR, but they can't see what each other are seeing. So you've created this whole other level of tension, um, which is the unknown and trust with the other person you're playing with. That also ticked a box in the thriller sense as well. You mentioned you changed roles for it. You became yeah. a different kind of producer for it. Yes, exactly. So uh, on the Trace show itself, I was sort of straight producer, managing the budget and, and the team stuff. But um, for this, through Lighthouse, I became the creative producer for the project. I completely managed creatively the, the concept, the idea, everything. And I changed the story slightly, but I worked with Richard Herford, the original writer of the show. So we had that through thread from the beginning, but it did mean that we had to create a different type of audience setup, basically, and change some elements of the story. And also we changed elements of the story to sort of move with the times and the political climate. So uh, there is still a whistleblowing element to it, but the themes inside are slightly different to the original show. Really interested to know from your point of view, does the conventional writer of fiction mm. or of theatre have a similar role in these much more kind of devised unfolding productions where the thing that you end up with may be quite mm. different from your initial kernel of an idea. Yeah, I would say that um, this is obviously my first time working on this kind of virtuality project, but what was so great working with Richard was that is that he is he's a real collaborator he's he really is open to collaboration and is really keen to sort of work together creatively with both myself and also when we we managed to get developers on on board at a much later stage really work with their ideas take those away play with them feedback and have that kind of push and pull and i know a lot of writers do work with, like that on straight plays as well but it meant that actually you're not really writing a script, you're sort of uh, dramaturgically creating a narrative in which there are high points, low points, you're kind of writing the acts without without writing the dialogue. It's, it's interesting, yeah. It's almost like 
very advanced, detailed stage design. Yeah, it is, in a way, yeah, it really is. And what we really needed from a writer was to really understand the highs and the lows of the narrative so that the developers and myself could sort of build in elements of gameplay that led us to those moments. So that was where it was interesting because we were sort of writing the script of the gameplay and he was sort of writing the script of the narrative and we had to collaborate in order for that to work in the best way possible. Yeah. So perhaps conventional theatre writers and just general mm. writers of creative work are going to, collaboration is going to be one of the big yeah. things that they're going to need to be able to do. I think so. I totally agree because also you get to a point where you're testing it with people, you're testing the technology and some of it falls flat because uh, some people get that little bit of technology and then unlock that part of the story, some people don't. So you have to be flexible in, in that way. But secondly as well, there's that element of flexibility, but unlike with a theatre show where in the rehearsal room with the writer and the director, you can get the actors on their feet, see a scene and change it up really quickly, actually when you've spent a lot of money on development of technology, you can't scrap it and change it as easily. So there's also that element of real commi committing to it at a point, which is, I think, a lot more like film, where you storyboard a film, you get your scenes sort of laid out, ready to shoot, and actually it's not as easy to kind of completely change that once those days of filming have been done. That's sort of how I was thinking about it a little bit for the development of the project. It's all about that push and pull between the technology and the and the creative content and and really sort of working with it to the best of your ability to kind of serve the story, I'd say, yeah. Once you'd reached the point where you knew what you wanted mm -hmm. and you knew you'd got a, a sense of how it was going to work, where did you what where did you go for the technology and have you had to become very techie yourself to make it happen? Well actually I owe so much the reframed project in, at Lighthouse because um, going down to Brighton for all of those sessions it was really really brilliant because it was such a great introduction actually it threw you straight in the deep end to be honest with a lot of stuff um, but it meant that it was a really great introduction into learning about um, the technologies that were available um, the previous projects that they'd been used for the inspirations of other artists that have been working with them and it meant that I almost had this sort of five six months crash course in an understanding of those kinds of projects. Obviously you've kind of got to do it to really know and I I had one go once at doing um, 3D meshing and scanning and putting it into Unity but I am not a coder or I am not someone that can build things in Unity myself but what was so great was they gave you an overview of, of sort of time frames and the scale of different types of projects. So yeah, I know so much more about VR, binaural sound, augmented reality, simply because of that reframe project. I think that for future collaborations between theatre companies and, and technologists, uh, I think it's really important to kind of bridge that gap with that kind of, those kinds of courses are just so great for that. Um, You're not a coder, they are not storytellers, yeah, necessarily. Yeah, necessarily. Or certainly, uh, not in the same way in as a, we are. In yeah. a sense of understanding what a performance needs to take an audience through. Mm, exactly. So they need to learn and you need to learn. And also for, for me to understand not only the limitations of the technology, but also to have an understanding of even just something as simple as visually what's possible within a VR world. It doesn't look like the real world. 
so you have to kind of really have an understanding of that in order to use it the best you can if you see what I mean because uh, if I'd have gone in there to the developers and said right I want you to build a room and it has to look exactly like this it has to look like a real room like a stage set it's not going to work you have to have that sort of uh, artistic skill on it and understand the limitations and also how far the technology can be pushed in those ways I'd say it's just understanding little things like that which have been really good do you think that having done a lot of finding creative solutions to get around mm. unusual problems. Yeah. That probably helped. Yeah, I think so. I really think so. And I knew from the start with Tracer that the exciting thing about using the VR would be the relationship between the person in the VR headset and the people in the room itself. So what was in the VR content was important, but it wasn't about fully immersing that person actually with this story into that visual world, which I know a lot of really fantastic VR experiences are about one person putting a headset on and really feeling like they are immersed and, and sort of brought into a whole nother universe. Whereas with this project, it was very much about a practical relationship with the person on the outside. So the visual is almost like a, a cue to communicate rather than a, a way of switching switching your mind into another space it's about sort of a mechanism to drive forward the narrative with the person in the in the room itself the audience are the people that make the decisions are the people that work together to forward the narrative they've got one actor in the room with them in this in this new development of the of the story but really the the audience are the people that work together a bit like an escape room to get through the narrative to understand uh, piece together the the story that they're they're trying to find this girl and it's it's they are the driving force so yeah the communication is the thing if someone if someone was so immersed in the beauty of the vr world it just wouldn't work because you really need them to to feel like they need to speak to their colleagues as it were in the room Did you have particularly big challenges in realising this? Were there particular moments where you thought, this is really doing my head in now? Mm, I would say, yeah, I'd say that there were a few moments where, so after Reframe, we successfully got uh, Creative XR funding for a prototype, which, oh, was, which was brilliant. And it was such a, a great moment for us because we were with such fantastic companies in that group of, of 20 projects. And obviously it was our first VR project, so yeah, we were really pleased. But the, the biggest challenges were things like in the gameplay relationship, for instance, there's, there's a moment in the prototype that we developed where one person is controlling a man in a maze in the real room but in the virtual world, the only the person in the VR is the only person that can see the maze, but the person in the real world has the controls. So they have to direct the man up and around. So you have to say, yeah. move it up, move it up. And the person in the real world has to just trust that you're telling them the right things and vice versa. And that's just an example of how a bit of gameplay works. But what's interesting is for some people who are used to gaming or puzzles or um, even escape rooms, those puzzles take a minute a maze, whereas for others, it takes a really long time. So in testing, it wasn't like you just present the audience with this narrative or with a scene in which they sort of decide. Because they're so active in it, you have so much less control over the amount of time and tension. And so um, 
that was a big frustrating moment in a way was trying to just make sure that for a wide range of audiences who are both familiar with with technology and who aren't the tasks that they they have are challenging enough for all but also easy enough and I think that's like a perennial problem for some gaming things like this uh, or escape rooms even the levels of difficulty but um, we managed to get through in the end with prompts and we we managed to get a really nice balance in the end and also to use our actor um, in the room to sort of push that forward at the marketplace day the actor was us in the end but um, yeah. in the future thing it, it, we, we did find some solutions but there were moments where I was quite worried about those moments yeah that's why the testing is so important yeah. <laughs> to, to get all a range of people to come and try it out yeah and um, this is entirely different experience to how you would now develop a live show you're kind of a, making a, a game yeah in a way it is it's i'd say it's i don't know what to call it it's so new and the learning from creating the prototype has been invaluable really because factoring in the development time the testing and also, uh, as I said before, that sort of understanding that when certain things are developed, they kind of become slightly immovable. Um, it's like you've built something solid, actually. And um, I think that that has really sort of informed the planning for the next um, seven months or so when we're, we're developing the whole piece, because what I'm looking at now is really nailing down the narrative to a point where we've basically storyboarded it and then the developers can really get to work on those moments and those high points so we have then enough time for testing it at the end. So it's, it is quite different because there are, I'd say, these immovable parts at different points where you have to just commit to that mechanism being the mechanism in which you you reveal that bit of the story. This does feel like a much bigger creative endeavour than just, oh look, we've made this piece that we can't tour, mm. let's work out how to make it tourable. Yeah. This is the logistics side. This is a much bigger creative thing. Yeah, it really is. And I think, though, but Traitor, the story that Esther and Cecilia originally developed, really lent itself to that sort of creative endeavour because the themes of the story, along with Richard as well, but the, theme, the themes of the story are so, um, are so current and relevant. It is much more about the logistics of touring that story. It's about pushing that story to where those guys really wanted it wanted it to go and I think that the way that this VR experience will hopefully do it is by creating the thrilling element of this communication and the high stakes element of, a, of a, against the clock kind of thing with um, with this sort of uh, narrative that that allows you to discover for yourself and make decisions for yourself that's what's so exciting is that and challenging and that's why I've enjoyed it's not just been a practical exercise of getting making it more tourable. Um, it, it really has been an opportunity to push the boundaries of the story. And I think that that is the lead at this point, rather than the... Um, the practicality sort of started us off on a, on a road in a way. We've managed to solve that. We solved that sort of thing quite early on with the concept. And now it's all about really making the most of the story. Do you get to go with it or do you have to then say goodbye to it? Well, I think... It's not practical for me to go with it all the time because um, I'll be working on other projects probably by the time that it's really up and running. Um, but I will want to go to the first few and particularly if it's at festivals or to schools, particularly when we're taking it to young people as a finished product for the first few times. I think it's just so brilliant to, to see those reactions, have the input of those young people 
after they've experienced that to then inform if there's any little developments and things we want to do. So I think there'll be a little bit of a phase at the beginning where we really do take it into schools and, and, and talk to young people about how they feel about the VR and the relationships in there and everything. Not for major changes necessarily, but just to really have that input and, and really understand um, that audience's reaction but I, I don't think I'll be able to go with it unfortunately I'd love to if it went somewhere in Europe I will definitely be there I'll be operating but also um, yeah I think um, the idea is that it tours on demand so who knows if I'm trained to be uh, an operative for it then who knows maybe if, if a school really wants it to come in or a venue really wants it to come in on a on a random week in the year why not I might I might go and do it it'd be really great yeah also, you've built this really solid new thing and methodology. Are you more interested in, for example, finding new stories that would maybe match up and be, be kind of compatible, mm. or would you rather go off and do something entirely different? Um, I think this methodology works at the moment specifically for this story. And I think a bit like our approach at Pilot to having digital within our stories, it really, it really has been at the core of the development of of the concept and the story and the narrative and everything so I'd be reluctant to sort of try and sh like well, I don't want to say shoehorn but kind of place another narrative onto this the, this method I think that we're really interested here about using technology and always always pushing it in different directions so who knows next it might be it might be sound that we're using it might be augmented reality um, but I think the most important thing is that the technology is born with the idea, with the narrative idea at the same time. It's never sort of, it's all simultaneous. It, the tech is neither first or after the, oh, the that's idea. Really interesting. Yeah, that's what so I want it to be like, yeah. You want the mindset to be there already. It's like it's part of your palette. Yeah, yeah. and it's really exciting because Obviously there are so many texts and stories that you, when you're developing work and that we're discussing in the office, the whole team have really great input into some of the programming and thinking about potential future stories to, to put on stage. And actually, um, I'm just really excited if Esther comes with an amazing uh, sort of book or something that she's read or one of my colleagues, Sam, Sam has or something, and, and we think, oh yes, well, this is a great story, but somehow it's not, it's not for stage. And then hopefully out of that we'll be able to maybe see, oh no, but it would be perfect with an augmented reality twist or with, uh, you know, to really think about it from that very first moment and think, oh yes, this is the way we want to go with it. This is like the launch pad traitor, I think, for hopefully a lot of future technological kind of forays into different stories. Is it still theatre? Oh yeah, this is a good question. Um, this is something that I think is, is a big debate because I know in a lot of a lot of experiences actually, whether they're immersive theatre, whether they're escape room, whether they're um, VR, describe themselves as a theatrical experience in so many ways. I think for me with Traitor, you are live in a room and it happens in real time and a story is played out that when hopefully when you leave, it leaves you really thinking about what you've just experienced and thinking about the real world, reflecting and discussing it Hopefully young people will discuss it with their friends, their parents, and I think that that in itself, that shared human experience alongside the chance to discuss really important themes means that it is a theatrical experience in my mind. There is something very live and very real to it.
The themes of Traitor actually really explore your online presence um, and what it means for things to be released online when news breaks and what it means to be a whistleblower and, and to really sort of provoke sort of discussion around that, those kind of themes. Um, what I really wanted to sort of, was to sort of play on the idea of technology as a solitary pursuit, especially in the minds of adults, because I think a lot of adults really see as a solitary pursuit when really it's not at all for a lot of young people and I think that what I was really excited about with this is that it was a chance to take that attitude and turn it on its head and actually you have to be outspoken and social and make decisions together as a little community as an audience to make the narrative work that actually is a really strong thing and it really means that you invest in that story because your decisions are the things that have consequences in that world. What's next for you personally? So we have just announced we're doing um, the mid-scale tour of Knots and Crosses. So Esther will be directing that next year. So another part of my role is I run a lot of the, I manage all of the marketing for Pilot as well. So um, that's one thing that I'm doing. And simultaneously, I am creative producer on Traitor, the full project. So we're going all guns blazing at the development at the moment. I've um, been meeting with all the different team members and um, hopefully, by the end of November, well we will by the end of November, have the completed Traitor project ready to tour. So that is my time, so it's going to be really busy over the next uh, few months to the end of the year, but I think that um, it's super exciting and I think I'll be, my brain will be fully in the Traitor world for, for months to come. And so um, it's probably more of an exciting question to ask in a way when that's on tour because that's hopefully when I'll be starting my next my next yeah. project, yeah. Thank you so much. I yeah. really appreciate it. That's absolutely fantastic. I've got everything I needed. Oh, brilliant. Thanks so yeah, much. That's really, great. Really that was Lucy Hammond. Thank you very much, Lucy. A wonderful day out for me up in York talking all things immersive theatre. You can find Pilot Theatre on Twitter at pilot underscore theatre or you can visit their website which is pilot-theatre.com that's pilot-theatre.com and that was Story Hacker thank you very much for listening good things come to those who share so let us know what you thought and what you'd like to hear please do the usual podcast things like and subscribe and tell your friends and we'll publish the next episode in two weeks time if you've got a project you'd like to share or an idea you'd like to spread get in touch and join us for a chat. James is the person to email james at theoldmarket.com or follow us on Twitter at tomtech underscore or use the hashtag storyhacker with an XR at the end. Thanks very much. Till next time. Goodbye. Bye. Don't fly.